Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, we're concluding our series titled The Grudge this morning, uh, and if this is your first time here, or if you've missed a couple of the weeks, then you're kind of coming in towards the end of the movie, so to speak. So real quick, let me get you up to speed. Uh, we launched the series in week one uh, by talking uh, about uh, just the need to to let it go, let it go, and that was the title of the message, just let it go, and we talked about how our life is too short and our calling is too great to get sidetracked by small offenses. And then week two, after having looked at small offenses in week one, week two, uh, we looked at the big offenses, you know, those things that aren't so easy to forgive, because sometimes it's more than just forgetting someone who cut you off on the interstate or wouldn't let you merge over. You know, sometimes, sometimes you know, we experience things that, that cut, cut and hurt us deeply. It might be a betrayal. It might be an ongoing or repeat offense. Those things that that seem to be beyond our capacity to forgive. And frankly, if we were honest, things we probably don't want to forgive, you know, where we're at right now. So what do we do then? What do we do in those cases? Well, we do what the disciples did when Jesus asked them to forgive in a way that seemed impossible for them. Uh, They said, they said, we need more faith, Jesus. Increase our faith. Remember, we looked at that in Luke. And, and the big idea of that message was freely we have received forgiveness, so freely we need to forgive others. And then last week, week three, Kyle shared a powerful message on the need to forgive ourselves because even though you may you know, recognize that God's forgiven you, still you're carrying the weight, the guilt, the shame, the baggage from, from that thing, that, that point of failure in your past. And the big idea from that message was while you can't change your past, God can change your future. Forgiveness doesn't change our past. It frees us for a better future. So if you, if you haven't seen any of those, I would encourage you to go to our website. You can download them, look at them, on the, or listen to them on the podcast. This morning, we're going to tie a bow on this series by talking about what to do when we take up an offense against God. So I want to begin with this question. Has anyone ever uh, held a, a grudge against God? Okay, I see a couple of hands. Well, let me, uh, let, let me uh, bring some context to that question, then I'm going to ask it again, okay? Uh, how many of you love hearing miracle stories, testimony of, uh, of testimonies of, you know, God showed up in a powerful way on behalf of someone? Yeah, maybe somebody in your growth group, you know, shared a testimony about how, you know, uh, that, that Sunday they finally took that step of faith and began to, to tithe, and then when they got into work Monday morning, there was a note on their desk saying that they'd got a raise. Wow, you know, and, and you know, you're like, wow, you know, that's you know, that that's encouraging, and and you know, and and we, you know, and that's exciting, and 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 we 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 want to uh, uh, rejoice with them. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, and so you sh- we celebrate with them as we should. The problem is, maybe you took that step of faith a couple of years ago, and you're still waiting for your windfall, right? I mean, it's not that you're walking away from God, but it's like, man, wait a minute, I, I'm happy for them, but you know, God, I took that step of faith a couple of years ago, and I. Where's my miracle, right? Where's my miracle at? Anyone brave enough to admit that you've been there? I didn't think so. Maybe, how about this? Maybe you got a girlfriend and she broke up with her not-so-good boyfriend and by faith she walked away from that toxic relationship 
trusting God to take care of her. And, and then three days later, she meets this amazing, this amazing guy, this Harry Styles lookalike. And, and this guy, he has all four of the gospels memorized in the Psalms and Proverbs. And he loves puppies and taking long walks on the beach. And three weeks later, he proposes to her. And then they went a free honeymoon to Cancun. And so you did the same thing. By faith, you broke up with your not-so-good boyfriend, and that was back in 2021. And the only dates you've had then have been with Ben and Jerry. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. But. And you're wondering, God, where, where, where are you at here? Where, where, where's my miracle, right? You know, sometimes the seemingly randomness of prayer makes it hard to see the goodness of God, doesn't it? In the past 18 months, I've had two shoulder surgeries on the same shoulder, and it's still not completely healed. And this past week, I go in, you know, I've been doing PT through all this. I had rotator cuff and then shoulder replacement, and it's just something's still not right, and I go back in. And I find out this last week, of everything that could happen after two surgeries, I got a stress fracture. And I'm like, are you kidding? This is what you have for me, God? Right? What, what do you do when you feel like, and again, you know, this isn't a deal breaker. I'm not going to walk away from God, but it's one of those things like a pebble in your shoe. It's like, it's, it's there, you know, it's there and you want to, you know, you're, you're trying to get past it. You know, maybe, maybe it was the baby that you always dreamed of having, but that baby has yet to appear. Maybe it was the engagement you believed was coming and here you are still single. Maybe it was a healing miracle that you were believing God for and, and he still hasn't answered your prayer apparently. So with that context, let me ask the question again. Anyone ever held a grudge against God? Yeah, welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. If we were honest, I think all of us would have to admit that, yeah, there have been times when we felt like God let us down, frankly. You know, times we were disappointed with God. In fact, in fact, for some of you, it might, be, it might even be a low-grade smoldering anger. It's just kind of underneath the surface there. Or you, you know, you, you, kind of, you don't want to admit it, but there's this anger with God, right? So what, what do you do when you realize you're holding a grudge against God? We talked about forgiving small offenses. We talked about forgiving big offenses. We talked about forgiving ourselves. What about how do we forgive God? Now, okay, technically, we, we don't really forgive God because God never sins, right? God doesn't do anything wrong. So, so to say that we forgive God would be inaccurate and, and unfair, but no question, there are times when we feel like God has let us down. So what do you do when you feel like you've been wronged by God? Because the truth is, it's hard to believe God is good when you feel like he's let you down, right? Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest about that. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament where this happened. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. But before we read it, I need to give you a little backstory here for some context. There was a guy named Elkanah. And Elkanah had two wives, one named Hannah and one named Penina. Now, for all you guys sitting out there thinking, man, that'd be cool having two wives. See, that just shows you've never been married. Because <laughs> no married guy would actually say, yeah, that's cool having two wives, right? That's not a commentary on wives. That's not a commentary on wives. It's a commentary on marriage, right? Marriage is great. Paul called it a grace from God. But God's original plan, God's original design for marriage was one man, one woman for life. That's what I believe. So, so why, okay, pastor, then why did guys have multiple wives in the Old Testament? Well, that, that's a good question for another sermon. And you know, I, 
my wife just told me that this past week. She said, honey, you know, those times when you say that's for another sermon, maybe you shouldn't say that because you never preached that other sermon. <laughs> so hold me to it, all right? Hold me to it. I, I need to preach a message on that sometime. Uh, but uh, the thing is, uh, uh, the short answer to this, why, why was there polygamy in the Old Testament? The short answer is for children for children. Guys would marry more than one wife to ensure that the family would continue to perpetuate. In other words, it was security. It was kind of their future, their, their, their security. Uh, in other words, polygamy was more of a utilitarian thing. It's not like guys would go around bragging about how many, how many wives they had. It was more a, a practical function of the family dynamics in the culture at that time. The bottom line is, you can forget all that other stuff. Remember this, that was not God's best. That was not God's best. It went against God's original plan for marriage. And frankly, polygamy was just another example of the fallen nature of man to want to help God out by taking matters into his own hands. And the Bible's very clear about the fact that that never ended well when people did that. But back to our story. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah, who he married first, and then Penina, who he married later. After realizing that Hannah was unable to conceive children, he's like, well, I've got to do something here to help God out. So he married Penina. Now, Elkanah's name, and this is an interesting part of the story that's important to note. Elkanah in Hebrew means God has created a son or God will give you a son. So think about that. For Elkanah, for his whole life growing up, anytime someone would say his name, it was a reminder of that promise. Anytime someone would say Elkanah, what they were saying is, hey, you're going to have a son. God's going to give you a son, okay? So when Elkanah, God's going to give you a son, married Hannah, he just assumed that God would give them a son. But unfortunately, Hannah couldn't bear children, and that's why most scholars believe that he probably took on the second, that's why he took on Penina, the second wife. And you can imagine Hannah's internal dialogue. I mean, even though it was a part of the culture, that didn't mean it was any easier for the ladies to deal with. Seriously, they were human. Hannah couldn't have a child, which would make her feel less than, inadequate, because we know Penina had children. So think about it. Hannah felt like a failure. No doubt she would have experienced the shame like what Kyle talked about last week. It would have been real easy for Hannah to say, God, where are you? Where's my child? How come you won't let me have children? And each year, Elkanah, the story, the Bible tells us each year Elkanah and his two wives would travel to a place called Shiloh to offer worship and sacrifices to God. This was an annual event for them. Now, the problem is Penina, the wife who could have children, would take every opportunity, especially on this trip to Shiloh every year, to remind Hannah how she couldn't have children. So let's pick up the narrative there, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, speaking of Penina, and that word there tells you a lot about their relationship, her rival, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because of her infertility, her barrenness. And remember, this was at a time in history when so much of a woman's worth and identity was tied to their ability to have children, which is why this next verse is so incredibly painful. Verse 7. This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Don't you, don't you know that Hannah just loved looking forward to those ships, trips to Shiloh every year, right? Where she could have to endure the taunts of Penina 
mocking her. Now, I share that backstory because I want you to experience what's going on here. I want you to kind of get a feel for what's going on here. You've got this nice, sweet, gracious, godly Hannah. This is, this is the girl that, that your mom wanted you to marry, guys. But you can't because I already married her, and I changed her name to Sue. But, <laughs> so you've got this very godly, sweet girl, Hannah. Think Sue right. And then you have the other the other wife, Penina. Now, Penina was the original mean girl. So when you, when you hear Penina, think Regina George. Okay, Rachel McAdams and mean girls, Regina George. So th- this is the girl that your mom warned you about, guys. So stay away from girls like that. She's cruel. She's vicious. And some of you guys are like, I think I used to date her at one time. But anyway, but can you, ima- can you imagine Hannah's mindset? She had to be asking, why in the world? God, why in the world would you bless someone like this with kids and not bless me? I mean, not even one child, God? Not not, not even one child? In fact, we can almost recite her dialogue with God, can't we? Because we've been through this same emotion. Lord, I I don't understand. I've been faithful. I've saved myself for marriage. I read my Bible every day. In fact, I even come to the 8 o'clock service every week. I serve on a dream team. I love you, Lord. I tithe. Why don't you do something about this for me. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. It's no big deal for you, God, to open my womb so I can have children. So God, why? I don't understand this. In other words, Hannah did the very same thing that many of you do. She prayed, and she believed, and she waited, and nothing. Year after heart-wrenching year, she prayed She believed, and she waited, and nothing. Anyone relate to that? You prayed, you believed, praying for someone to get saved, someone you love, but another year goes by, and that person, not only are they not saved, in some ways they seem even further than God before you started praying for them. And you're like, God, what gives? I know what your, your, your word says, that it's your will for everyone to come to know you. I'm just praying your will, God. Why, why can't you get a hold of them, right? What more can I do? Right? Just like you prayed for healing for someone close to you, maybe a relative or a close friend who, who was dear to you and, and they were never healed, and then someone in your growth group prays for their pet hamster and and, and, and God, in his miraculous divine sovereignty, saved that pet hamster from imminent death. I'm being facetious here, but you know what I'm talking about. Seriously, God, you're going to answer their prayer? All right. If you've ever felt that way, that's exactly what Hannah felt like. She was married to Elkanah, who, as best we could tell, was, was a good guy. The problem is he was still a guy. He was a dude. And the problem with us dudes is... Sometimes we say dudish things, right? Sometimes our, our, our dudishness just kind of takes over because we're not just dude, we're, we're sinful, fallen dudes. And uh, we just can't help it. It just kind of comes out. As much as we try, it just kind of comes out. And you gals, you gals know when this happens because that's when we ask really stupid questions. And guys, I'm going to do you solid here. Uh, there are certain questions that are off limits in a relationship. 
questions that you're forbidden to ask. Now, they won't tell you what they are, so I'm going to do you solid, and I'm going to tell you what they are, all right? These que- I know, they, they seem natural to you guys, I know. They seem right, but my God has sent me here this morning to deliver some of you guys from the trouble and tribulation that is sure to come you, your way when you step on one of these relationship landmines by asking one of these forbidden questions. Guys, when you get home from work at the end of the day and walk into the house, don't ever under any circumstances, ask, so what'd you do today? Don't do it. Don't do it. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, be set free from that question. If you ask that, it'll be the last question you ever ask, so just don't do it. Guys, if you see a unique hairstyle on a lady, uh, just admire it. Just admire it. Uh, Don't go up and ask, did you mean to do that to your hair? No, 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 don't, you know. So, all right, Pat, well, what questions can you ask? Okay, I'm going I'm to help you out here. I'm going to give you some questions that you can ask. Guys, you can ask this question. You can ask, why are you so wonderful? You can ask, how was I so lucky to get you in my life? You can ask, would you like a kitchen upgrade? You, you, can, you can ask questions like that. But apparently, no other dude warned Elkanah about these landmine questions because here's the question Elkanah asked Hannah in response to her crime. Remember, the other wives just thrown shade on her, you know, just, just irritating her, making fun of her. So Hannah's crying. She's crying out to God. And here's what her husband says to her in verse 8. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? And here's the landmine question that he asked. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Yeah, that has to be one of the dudest questions. That, that goes on the Mount Rushmore of dude questions right there, right? The sad thing is, ladies, he really thought it was a good question. He didn't see anything wrong with it, right? That question made sense to him. The point being here, I want you to understand her pain. She's doing everything she knows to do, and she, she looks to God. She's trying to keep her trust in him, but it's hard. It's hard because the thing that she wants the most, the, the thing that God has the power to give her, God seems to be withholding from her. So back to our question. What do you do when you feel like you've been disappointed by God and maybe even taken up an offense against him? What do you do? Well, we do what Hannah did. What did Hannah do? She just let it rip. I mean, she let God know how she felt in no uncertain terms, and she didn't hold back anything. She told God exactly how she felt and why she felt that way. She took all the pain, all the hurt, all the disappointment, all the anger, and she just hurled it recklessly at God. Verse 10, in her deep anguish, deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly from the depths of her heart. She cries out to God. What did she say? Well, it's not recorded, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, you know, we know because we've been there. The same things that we say to God when we feel like he's let us down. Something along the lines of, this isn't fair, God. Why did you do it for them and not for me, God? God, I've done everything I know to do. I've been faithful. I've trusted you. What, What gives, God? And so Hannah pours out her heart to God. You know, David was a master at this. If you ever read through the Psalms, David was, uh, he made an art form of this. Seriously, when he would vent to God, he, and there were times he asked for God to smite his enemies, kill them. Yeah, I mean, so he didn't pull any punches, right? And so Hannah's just letting it fly. 
You know, even Jesus did that. Did you know that even Jesus vented to God? Remember when he was hanging on the cross? Remember this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, Jesus, God, why'd you turn your back on me, right? And I've been faithful every moment of my life. And when I need you the most, you pull back. Why have you done this? Even Jesus did that. Hannah pours out her heart to God. Then somewhere near the end of her prayer, she does the same thing that you and I do as well sometimes. She makes a promise to God. She said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Verse 11, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Now, I'm not saying that if you do this, if you make God a promise that he's going to answer your prayer. Because here's the deal. God, God doesn't operate that way. God's hand wasn't moved by Hannah's promise. His heart was moved by her worship. That there, there's a clear distinction there. He didn't move on her half because she made that promise. He moved on her behalf because she continued to worship him. Verse 12 says, Hannah continued praying. Then there's this interesting dialogue between her and the priest. I'm not going to go into the details, but at the end of the conversation, the priest tells her this. The priest just says, may God grant your request. That's it. May God grant your request. No, no, immediately, no immediate outward change, right? Not everything looks the same, right? Penina, Penina's probably still throwing shade her way, making fun of her. Her husband, is, Elkanah, still asking stupid questions. She's still got no baby. But don't miss this, dear ones. Don't, don't miss this. Hannah continues to trust God. She keeps on asking. She keeps on seeking. She keeps on knocking. In other words, she does her best. She does her best to continue to hold on to God and believe that he's still good. Because even though she doesn't see anything, she knows that doesn't mean that God's not actually doing something on her behalf. So if you ever find yourself hurting, listen, if you ever find yourself hurting, feeling disappointed in God, feel like God's let you down, do what Hannah did. Go ahead and just let her fly. Be honest with God. Pour out your heart to him. He's big enough to handle your hurt. And we know, that, we know that Hannah continued to trust God because of verse 19. It says, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more, once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. She went to worship the Lord one more time, one more. And then, verses 19 and 20, when Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. And the name Samuel means God heard me. And Hannah learned a very important lesson that day. She learned that, and this is our big idea for this morning's message, she learned that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. She learned that a waiting season isn't necessarily a wasted season. Just because you don't see it in the moment doesn't mean that you're not going to see it in your lifetime. The final chapter hasn't been written yet. Earlier, I made a comparison reference between Hannah and my wife. Obviously, with five children, our struggle isn't with infertility. Uh, but for the past three or four years, um, Sue has had her own ongoing struggle, um, struggles that have led to, frankly, some frustrations and you know questions on our side. 
we mentioned it a while back when my pastor, our district superintendent, was here, and, and he prayed over her, prayed over us. Um, as we stated then, and, and I'll reiterate right now, it's, it's not a life-threatening issue, but, but it has been life-debilitating in, in, in many ways, enough to cause her to bump up her retirement date uh, from the school uh, a couple of years. She originally planned to work a couple more years, but she went ahead and retired this past September. And again, we're not, look, we're not, I'm not trying to be cryptic when I talk about it. It's just, it's one of those things, it's a very sensitive thing, a very personal thing. It's not easy to talk about with anyone, all right? So I, I just want to kind of let you know, we're, we're not purposely being cryptic about this, but uh, here's my point. Uh, we've been to so many different doctors over the past few years. We've tried all the approaches. We've tried conventional health. We've tried alternative health. We've tried functional health. We've tried integrative health. We've tried lifestyle health. We've tried them all. We've tried them all. And sometimes she really does feel like the woman that Luke describes in, in, in his gospel, the woman who had that illness, that infirmity for 12 years, spent all her money going to doctors with no results. And then one day she hears that Jesus is passing through town. And so she goes out and in her mind, she said, man, if I could just push through the crowd, if I could just touch the bottom of his robe, the old English says, the hem of his garment. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. And we have prayed that. Lord, Sue's prayed. I just, if I just want to, if I feel like, Lord, if I could just, the, just touch the hem of your garment, right? And, and, and that was that lady's way of saying, God, I know you can. Isn't that her way of saying, God, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. I know you can do this. And yet, here we are years later, and, and she's still not healed. And I, I can't speak for Sue, but I, I think that there have been times I've taken up an offense for her at times on this journey. Numerous time in my prayer walks, I, I, I like Hannah. I just, I just let her rip. You know, seriously, God. <laughs> you know, I think of some of the things that you've answered, some of the prayers you've answered, and and you know, my wife. You know, she's been serving you faithfully. I've been serving. You know, then, then you start feeling sorry for yourself, right? God, I've been serving you for faithfully in this town for thirty-five years, and you're not even going to answer this prayer, right? Is it too much to ask to heal my wife? And, I, you know, honestly, there are times that she does do better. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, it's totally, you know, for loss. But she would tell you. She would tell you that there's still the chronic pain. So what do we do? We pray. And we vent. And we pray. And we vent some more. And then you know what we do? We go back and we worship. And we come here every Sunday and we worship. One more time. Just one more time. Just one more time. And we continue to hang on to the promise that Hannah held on to. That promise that with God, a waiting season isn't a wasted season. And just because we haven't seen the results that we'd like to see doesn't mean God's not doing something. Doesn't mean that God's not working. Doesn't mean that God doesn't hear the cry of our heart. Doesn't mean that God's not good. So for those of you that are in a waiting season right now, I want you to know it's not a wasted season. It's not a wasted season. In Hannah's case, God hears the cry of her heart. God gives her the desire of her heart. Now, that may happen in your life. It may not. But no matter what the outcome is, the goodness of God is not based on what we see or don't see. The goodness of God is simply based on who he is, who he is. So what do we do? All right, Pastor, what, what do we do then when we find ourselves maybe holding a grudge against God? Three things, three things, three steps that you can take 
when you realize maybe yeah maybe I am maybe I have taken up an offense against God first remember even when we're going through times of pain and disappointment God is always working all things together for your good that's what the apostle Paul said Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose so just remember God remember God's still working regardless of what you see second thing second step allow your offense to become an opportunity to get to know God more intimately a few weeks ago when Michelle was sharing her story about the sudden unexpected tragic loss of her husband how climbing out of that darkness and despair you know she said she said you know I I wouldn't wish what I went through I wouldn't wish that on anyone but she said, I wouldn't trade that painful, dark time in my life for anything because when I began to lean into the pain, that's when God began to minister to me and start molding me into the woman that I am today. Completely different situation and circumstances with, with my wife, but one way that Sue has leaned into the pain is by starting a ladies' Bible study, a daytime ladies' Bible study. This is something that she's wanted to do for years. She's wanted to do a, a daytime ladies' Bible study. And uh, since she retired last September, again, because of this infirmity, so well, I've got this time now, so I'm going to start this, this Bible study, which she did on Wednesday mornings. She started this lady, ladies' Bible study, and, uh, and it's been really good. And, and the really cool thing, though, is this is the really cool thing. Yes, she's enjoying leading the study, but what really energizes her is it's going really well. There's a good turnout. There's like 8 to 10, sometimes 12 ladies that show up. And, and so that was her way of, of, you know, taking what this otherwise not good situation, had to retire from my job, but you know what? I have this time now, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I've always wanted to do. And she started leading that Bible study, and it has just been a tremendous healing in that way for her. Helped her. Through that time of fellowship and Bible study, she's getting to know our God more intimately. Third, the third step, be grateful and quit complaining. Be grateful and quit complaining. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining and arguing. Now, yes, like Hannah, like David, like Jesus, you can come to the Father and vent. You can pour out your heart. Let him know how you're really feeling, but you can't camp out there. You can't stay there. There comes a point where that becomes detrimental. That, that becomes counterproductive. Remember, even though he initially pushed back against going to the cross, remember Jesus? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you turn your back on me when I need you the most? Still, right after that, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But your will be done. So he didn't stay there in that venting. Even Jesus. Finally, just let it go. If you're here this morning, you've been disappointed by God, maybe even taken up an offense against him, I would invite you to, to unload on him. Tell him from the depths of your heart. Cry out in pain and anguish and just let him know how you feel. But, but then choose to let go of the disappointment and continue to trust him. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I, I, I pray, especially for those who, for whatever reason or reasons, have maybe taken up an offense against you, those who feel like you've let them down, those who feel disappointed, 
those who might be in a waiting season of their own. You're praying, you're believing, but man, you're just not seeing any changes and you feel like God hasn't answered your prayer. If that's you, if that's you, would you do me a favor and just right where you're sitting, would you just lift, lift your palms up? You know, Kyle did this last night. Well, just lift your palms up. Just receive this from God. Say, Father, help me through this time of this waiting season. Help me to recognize that it's not a wasted season, that you're still on the throne, that you're still good, that you hear the cry of my heart. And help me to just continue to lean into that pain, that disappointment. And as I do, continue to reveal more of your goodness to me. Help us see, Father. Help us see that you're still good no matter what we're going through. And those, Father, that, that are struggling, just with whatever faith they might have, with whatever, how big, how little, that they would choose to just come and worship you one more time. Just one more time. And God, by faith, help us to continue to look to you. Not for just what we see, for what you do, or what you undo, but for who you are. While your heads are bowed, some of you are here today and you're hurting because of your past or feel ashamed because of something you did that you don't think God can forgive. Can I tell you that, that Jesus forgives your sins and makes you new? He cares for you. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. And he can change your life. When you surrender your heart to Jesus, he not only makes you better, he makes you better at life. So if you're ready, if you're ready for a better life, then it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can receive that better life. Jesus called it abundant life. If that's you, if you would just, I'll lead you in a prayer. You can just pray this however you feel led, but just say, Jesus, I know my life is broken and I can't fix it. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can begin living my life for you and showing your love in all that I do. So right now, I just I give my life to you. I give my heart to you, and I receive your life in return. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.